Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25 as we continue in our series in the book of Exodus. Free at last. Listen to the Word of God in verses 10 through 20, 22. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside you shall overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. You shall make two cherubim, cherubim of gold, of hammered work, Shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat? Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that as we sit, all of us, even the one speaking under the authority of your word. We pray that you would do that work in us by the power of the Spirit through your word, that you would shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus, our Lord and King. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You have heard the expression, heaven on earth, used to describe some place or situation that is deeply pleasant or enjoyable. Perhaps you've stood on the beach of a Caribbean island with someone you love looking out at the ocean and the incredible blues of that ocean, the sun shining, a cool breeze, nice drinking hand, and thought, man, this is like heaven on earth. Maybe you've been on some mountain range in America or around the world and looked out at the majesty of the mountain range with its strength and beauty staring you in the face, breathing the clean air and beholding the snow-covered cliffs and thought, man, this is, this is like heaven on earth. Or maybe you've just been with a group of friends hanging out, enjoying a good time, good food, good lives, no conflict, and thought, man, this is, this is heaven, this is heaven on earth. Most of us in this room have likely had some experience where we, where we felt a deep sense of joy and happiness and thought, this must be what heaven is like. Well, as wonderful as those experiences may be and as wonderful as those experiences are, 
Israel was actually going to experience the reality of heaven coming to earth. Indeed, they had already seen it in God's powerful acts of deliverance in Egypt and in God's descending on Mount Sinai in the cloud, in the fire. What God had proclaimed in Exodus chapter 3, that he had come down, that heaven in that sense was coming down, had already been experienced by the Israelites. And now, God was promising in the building of this portable sanctuary to make the tie between heaven and earth more permanent in his covenant with the children of Israel. And in the building of the ark, the chest that would hold the Ten Commandments and function as a representation of God's presence with his people, God was confirming that promise as God had once walked with human beings at the beginning of the creation. Now he would make his home again amid his people on earth. Israel would be in that way a community whose very existence would be to image what it looks like when heaven and earth meet. The ark was to be the visible place of that meeting. Of course, in the Old Covenant, that meeting would be mediated through representatives, through Moses, and later through the high priest, who alone would be able to enter the holiest place in the sanctuary where the ark would be placed. But in the New Covenant, we have a representative, the one to whom all those past representatives were meant to point. Only he is more than just a man. He is, as the New Testament teaches us, man and God. And so the writer of Hebrews speaks of him saying this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. What only some could experience in the old covenant, we all now experience in the new. For Jesus has opened the way for all of us to experience the true reality of heaven on earth because he has brought us into the presence of God through faith in his sacrifice of us, for us, his giving up his life for us, his laying down his life for the guilt of our sin. And the day is coming where all the evil of this life will be purged from the earth and the full beauty of that tie between heaven and earth will be felt. But it is already here for those who follow Jesus. And God was saying to Israel in this text that, that, it, was, it, that it was there for them in the sanctuary and in the presence of the ark built to symbolize that tie between heaven and earth. And earth. Yet, yet here was the truth for, for them that remains true for us today. Many would not see the ark in their day-to-day experience. That is, their, their physical eyes would not behold this, this symbol of, of God's presence. Thus, thus, what would be required of them is faith. Belief that, that though not seeing it for themselves, the reality of it yet remained. And though we do not see Jesus with our physical eyes, we can and do perceive him through the eyes of faith. This is the very truth that Jesus himself conveyed to a doubting Thomas saying, blessed are those who have not seen 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So if your spiritual eyes are dull today, if you are having a hard time seeing, let this story and the truth that it pointed to, let it renew your faith. God is here among His church. Heaven and earth are joined in the community of God's people. And Jesus, through the Spirit, is wanting to make Himself visible to you today. So open up your eyes and see that your God is here. So what does it mean? What does it mean that He is here? What does it mean that heaven is here on earth, on earth that God is here on earth in the community of His people? Well, the first thing I want to talk about this morning is holiness. Holiness. Let me read verses 10 to 15 again to you. It says, they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. You shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it, and you shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. The ark itself um, was to essentially be a, a, a 45 by 27 by 27 chest overlaid with gold. It was to have gold moldings around it. And it was to be fitted with gold rings on its side so the wooden poles overlaid with gold could be placed in it for carrying the ark during Israel's journey from place to place. And the poles were to remain there so that the ark itself would not be touched and to minimize the wear and tear that could come from placing the poles in and out of the rings. But beyond its physical dimensions, this ark was to relay an important truth about the Lord Himself namely His holiness. The, the visual appearance of the ark was to reflect symbolically the glory of the God of heaven. The ark, by its very appearance, would stand out among the other pieces of furniture in the sanctuary, particularly once the atonement cover was placed on it, which we will talk about in a few minutes. It was intended to be a visually stunning work, for it represented the presence of the one who really and truly cannot be fully described. Even more, the ark was not just a represent, it was not a representation of the throne of God, but rather more so a representation of his footstool. T. Desmond Alexander says this in his commentary, he said, although there is strong evidence to associate the chest with the divine throne, the chest itself is not the throne, but rather the footstool of the throne. Footstools were a regular feature of ancient Near Eastern thrones, a point illustrated by 2 Chronicles 9 and 18. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold which were attached to the throne. So viewed as a footstool, the chest of the testimony extends the heavenly throne to earth. And yet, even as a footstool, the ark was to be protected to be visually out of the sight of everyone except for Moses and the high priest. And it was not to be touched, which was the purpose of placing the poles inside of the ark. 
Indeed, later in Israel's life, when the ark is recaptured by David from the Philistines, we read this story. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, uh, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. While this story represents an unfortunate incident in the life of God's people, it represented the importance the ark held as a symbol of the presence of a holy God. And it's a reminder to us this morning that God, with whom his people are in covenant, is indeed a holy God. That he is set apart from everything and everyone else. He is, as the confession tells us, the one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and withal most just." And terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who by no means will clear the guilty. This is our God. And though we have gained access to this God through the blood of Jesus, and though he relates to us now through Jesus as our Father, tender and compassionate and full of grace toward us, he is yet and still a holy God to be revered, to be honored, to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be obeyed. He is not common. He is set apart above and beyond all things. Amen, people of God. And though he is truly our friend, he is not to be trivialized in that relationship, for he remains also our Lord and our master, our God, and our King. Amen, people of God. And so heaven on earth that is that God's presence is with us is a call to reverence. It's a call to remember that our God is holy and that we should set Him apart as holy in our lives. The ark and its placement in the sanctuary would be a reminder that God is indeed to be set apart above all, that He is to be respected and revered as our God and our King. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He is holy, and He is to be set apart. And we set God apart as holy when we, refuse to rep- when we refuse to place anything else on the throne of our lives, so to speak. 
We set him apart when we make him the exclusive object, object of our worship and, and praise, as I said last week. This means prioritizing, uh, prioritizing weekly worship and prioritizing personal time with the Lord, praying, studying, and reflecting on him and his goodness. It also means prioritizing God's commands, that is doing what God says in our lives. If he is holy to us, then that will show forth in lives lived in obedience to Him. And so this means examining our own lives day to day and week to week and asking the Lord to show us where we are in need of His power to do what He calls us to do. Maybe we are straying in some area of our life, avoiding some good we are called to do or straight up rebelling against the commandments of our Lord. Whatever the case, treating God as holy means learning to do what He says. And this involves the help of brothers and sisters, and it involves our own hearts being transformed. So I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, ask God to help you to regard Him as He truly is, a holy God who deserves and calls for our reverence and our awe. Amen. And so this arc of the contention of God's commitment to atonement. In verses 16 to 21, we read this, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat you shall make the cherub, cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give to you. So the ark represented the holiness of God, but it represented that holy God's commitment to atonement. That is, His commitment to bring about reconciliation between Himself and His people, and in doing so, to purify His people of the sin that makes that reconciliation necessary. While some translations refer to the lid that was to be placed on top of the ark as a mercy seat, as you just heard me read, a better translation might be an atonement cover. This, this cover was to be made of pure gold and not wood overlaid with gold. It was to have two cherubim placed on each end facing each other with their wings overshadowing the cover. And since God is often referred to in the Scriptures as dwelling among the cherubim, their presence on this atonement cover would indicate that the one making provision for atonement was none other than the Lord Himself. God Himself would forgive His people's sins and purify them of those sins. Don't, don't miss this, for, for, for our reconciliation is rooted in God's work of cleansing us, forgiving us. God would be present with Israel to ensure that the covenant relationship between He and them would remain even if only for a remnant of His people who would trust Him and His promises. And glory, glory be to God. For he remained faithful to that commitment to atone, represented symbolically by this atonement cover on the ark. He remained committed until the day came when he would provide a 
determinate source of reconciliation and forgiveness for His people. That's why the writer of Hebrews declares, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer Himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not His own. For then He would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. What the atonement cover represented has now come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ our Lord. And John says it this way, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Any who hope in Him among all the nations of the earth will find through Him peace with God. So every time Moses and the high priest met with the Lord in the most holy place in the sanctuary, they would be reminded of this commitment of God to forgive the sins of His people, the commitment of God to make peace between Himself and His people, the, the, the commitment of God to do what you just heard read this morning by, by Elder Darrell, to cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea that His covenant relationship with us might remain. And in Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord, Lord, that relationship is now eternal. No one can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of our sin and brokenness and evil can separate us because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Heaven on earth means atonement. Heaven on earth means reconciliation between us and God. It means knowing that we are forgiven. It means knowing that we are cleansed. It means knowing that we are at peace in our relationship with the Lord. The ark would be a reminder of this atonement, this reconciliation between the people and God. So we're reminded in the new covenant, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is holy but we don't have to be afraid of Him. God is holy, but we don't have to be afraid to draw near to Him. Why? Our sins have been atoned for. Our sins have been atoned for through the sacrifice of Jesus, through faith in Him. We are invited, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Amen. Amen. Heaven on earth means being reminded of the holiness of our God. It means being reminded of His commitment to reconcile us to Himself, atonement. But heaven on earth also means testimony, holiness, atonement, testimony. Listen again to verses 21 and 22. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark 
you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. That the Ten Commandments uh, were to be placed inside the ark function uh, as a set of commands to continually guide and shape the life of God's people in relationship to Him and their neighbors. That's clear. Yet these commandments, as well as God's promise to Moses to speak to him from between the two cherubim, function also as a testimony. God will, through these commandments being placed inside of this ark and his faithfulness in speaking to Moses, will bear testimony continually through his word of the special relationship that he has entered into with his people. He will bear testimony continually to who he is as Lord and who they are as his people. Douglas Stewart says regarding the tablets being referred to as a testimony in, in the NIV, he writes this, the Hebrew word translated the testimony by the NIV can also mean decree or command or collection of decrees and commands, since it is used often as a collective noun. A case can be made for the NIV translation, since the tablets were in fact a witness, a testimony to the covenant, a relationship that the tablets described in writing. Not only would Moses continually hear God's instructions for his people when he stood before the Lord on their behalf, but he would continually hear in that instruction God's testimony about himself and about his people's relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for God's testimony to us of who he is and his testimony of who we are in him. The Word of God bears witness that he is who he says he is and that we are who he says we are in him. The testimony of God, that is his Word, bears witness that he is king, high and lifted up, that the earth is his footstool, that all creation belongs to him. His testimony, that is his word, bears witness that he is the Lord whom all the angels and the cherubim and all of heaven worships and adores, whom all the earth will one day worship and adore. His testimony, that is his word, bears testimony that we are his treasured possession among all peoples, that we are his kingdom of priests and a holy nation. His testimony, that is his word, bears witness that we are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. And that testimony, that is his word, calls for those who have heard who he is and who have heard who they are in him to bear their own testimony. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his holy name. And in case you didn't know it, this is the purpose for which you and I have been called out, to bear witness of the one who bears witness to you in his word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, 
the God who testifies to you of who he is and testifies to you of who you are, says to you, bear testimony to the world of who I am and bear testimony to the world of what I have done for you. And so every time Moses went into the tent and stood before the ark and heard God voice, God's voice, he would be reminded of God's special relationship with his people, that indeed he was their God, and that indeed they were his people. And this relationship is now ours through faith in Jesus Christ. We have this testimony in the Word of God of who our God is and who we are in him. Amen, people of God. So heaven on earth includes this faithful testimony of God's Word what we are in relationship with God through Jesus, His very great and precious promises communicated to us in the Scriptures. While the ark contained the Ten Commandments, God tells Moses that He will continue to speak to him, communicating to Moses His Word for His people. I want you to know this morning that God wants us to know His will, and He also wants us to know His love for us. He wants us to know what He has commanded us to do, but he also wants us to know who we are. God's testimony includes instructions for how we're to live our lives, how we're to relate to him and our neighbors and the creation, but his word is also filled with promises to us. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Or consider what he will say later to Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And consider, brothers and sisters, what he now says to us who are in Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These passages and more confront us with the truth that God's Word is both instruction and testimony. Testimony of who He is and testimony of who we are in Him. I just want to encourage you, make the Word of God your daily food (laughs) because God wants to testify to you every day of who He is, of who you are, and of what He's called you to. Amen, people of God. And so this ark, it represented the holiness of God. It represented His commitment to atonement, and it represented His testimony to us. And we have all of that now in Jesus Christ our Lord, who gave His life that we might be brought back to God. Amen.